Hello friends, my name is Jude Montmagowan and welcome to Words Fail Me, a podcast about thriving with dyslexia. Our guest today is the director, Harvey Hubble V. Harvey's media company, Captured Time Productions, has for almost three decades created feature-length documentaries and short-form projects which have won almost 60 festival awards, including four Emmys. Harvey's idiosyncratic visual sense found a natural outlet in filmmaking. A natural auteur, film has given his out-of-the-box creativity a home as a writer, producer and visual storyteller. In 2013, Captured Time released Dyslexia, the movie, Harvey's passion project, seven years in the making. It's a documentary feature that focuses on the serious and seriously misunderstood subject of dyslexia with his trademark humour and lightness. As always, this is a podcast to support the brilliant work of the Dyslexia Foundation. Their mission is to unlock the full potential of children and adults with dyslexia so that they can succeed and contribute fully to society. They have done and they continue to do incredible work. They test any adult off the street and teach them to read for free. Everything is free at the point of use. I found Harvey to be very engaging, very funny, very articulate about filmmaking, very passionate. I hope you enjoy the episode. Here it is. All right, well, hello, Harvey. How are you? I'm doing great, Jude. How are you today? I'm good. I'm good, you know. Um, Slowly, slowly over here, we're sort of... um, yeah, things COVID-wise are winding down a little bit. Um, the vaccine's going okay, um, touch wood, but I'm, I'm, I don't think we're out of the woods uh, just yet. How's, how's things in the US of A? Here, the, um, the microchips have been implanted in people and there's zombie apocalypses happening. And, uh, and I think right. we're okay. It's the same thing with, with uh, it's been a heck of a year with the pandemic and yes. kind of made people just think differently and there's there's high points and bad points right absolutely absolutely i mean from certainly from my perspective you guys dodged a bullet um with uh, the election of of your 46th president um we don't have to go into that too much uh but um that sure i'm sure added to the chaos of of the pandemic as well well you know what i think is uh and this is this is important i'm doing a couple of different things right now and and uh a couple different projects and i'm thinking you know when we're living in 2021 i mean i'm an expert on 2021 i i i've been getting ready for these years the future since i was mm. since i was a kid right remember we watched yes. the jetsons and uh, star trek and everything yes <laughs> yeah but nobody nobody ever told us that when you have all this information but some of it was going to be just crazy stuff, and you got to pick out what's important, and what's not important, and that's the age of information, and that's the that's the job of everybody to figure out what's malarkey and what's real. Yeah, absolutely, and and where you're being manipulated, or where people are just trying to sell you stuff, um, and and why is it keeping people in a state of confusion benefits uh, certain people? See, the more people are talking about what you're saying right now the more reality we have on it, the more we realize we're all, all together. That's one of the things that I think when we, when we dive into dyslexia, dyslexia doesn't discriminate. So you don't care mm. 
you know, what it's kind of a, a unifying factor, you know, on, on dyslexics, a couple of dyslexics, you know, meet each other and, and they realize they have a lot in common. They realize second and third grade wasn't, was a lot of fun, but that's, it's not a death sentence. So you could, you could be any, you know, any race, religion come from any nation and you have something in common with your brother or sister. You could be young or old and it's a, it's a unifying, you know, it's a unifying thing. It's, it might seem like it's not a good thing at sometimes, but it turns out to have its positive points. Absolutely. I mean, look, we, we're in the chat already, um, and it, it certainly brings to mind um, an element of your film, Dyslexia, the movie, which is brilliant. I had the pleasure of watching it uh, as research for this conversation, um, where there's a, a bit towards the end of the film where one of your guests talks about being an advocate, how how dyslexia makes you an advocate. So his mother was an advocate for him, and then he, in turn, has become an advocate for other dyslexics. And that that certainly feels like the basis of your work as, you know, with, with your production company and, and, um, and the projects you, you have coming up and the projects you've done is about um, the empathy, how it opens you up as a dyslexic, you know, the suffering that you, you experience as, as a child at school really opens you up to be empathetic and an advocate for dyslexia. Empathy is a good word. I mean, that's the one that, and a lot of people say that, and, and I'm not sure if there's been scientific data to back up what you and I believe about the empathy. But um, it's like, you know, walking in somebody else's shoes, walking in somebody else's moccasins. You understand it. And uh, yeah, I mean, I think you, I think you'd want to talk to parents and and other people and uh, kids, teachers. Um, I think it's really important to share your, your knowledge and your experience. It's not a death sentence, you know, as, as, no. As we're saying, there's, there's good and bad to it. And, and you know, no two dyslexics are the same, right? So that once you, once you understand that, once you can get a teacher to understand that, then you can realize, wow, there's no two anybody is the same. And once you're sitting in that classroom mm. and you realize that each of these kids have, the, you know, their each unique way of learning. I mean, what a wonderful world we could have if we just all treated each other with respect and empathy and, and looked for you know, what is their gift? What's their superpower that this person has? I know what they're not good at. I got it. But tell me what, they, what they're good at. That's, you know, that's the world I want to live in. That's the world we live in here, don't we, Rusty? That's the world we live in. That's the world we live in. <laughs> Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. You're hearing um, Harvey's producer in the background there. Um, who I don't know if dyslexic. Is, is Rusty dyslexic? I wish I was. I'm a wannabe. <laughs> He's a wannabe. <laughs> I'm trying. I'm try- I'm tr- every day, I wish I could... <laughs> I'm not trying to be facetious, and I, I I don't want to add any disrespect at all. Don't don't take no. it that way. No, none taken, none taken. No, listen, you're you're preaching to the choir here. I mean, I think we can both agree that the education system, certainly here and in America, is, is a sort of you know industrial revolution model, which is about churning out factory workers. Um, it's not, as you say, um, a bespoke education where you go, wow, this this child is unique and they learn in a different way, how is it we can help them to self-actualize and become the best version of themselves that they can be? Um, and we could get into why it is our systems don't want everyone to operate at the optimal level they can, but the reality is we'd all benefit from everybody being the best versions of themselves. If every doctor is the best doctor they can possibly be, we all benefit from that. Equally, artists, directors, filmmakers, it's the same thing. 
Oh, no, you know, I'm I'm the choir. You're preaching to me, babe. But, you know, here's the thing is, um, you know, we were talking about the pandemic being having its good points and its bad points. And you could say, well, you know, Harvey, this is how many people just just died in it. How can you say what's what, you know, there's, but you got to find a silver lining in these things. You, you got to find the good and the bad. This is the chance to redo education. Mm. Um, now, you know. In, in the project we're working on now, we talk about summer slide, but, you know, COVID slide is is huge. But really, it's up to, um, you know, the parent uh, or the teacher or the lifelong learner to be able to figure out how, to, how they can be the, you know, that student, they can get that lifelong learner to be the best possible person they can be, to be that best doctor, to be that best artist. You know, it's it's a series of, of of growth and change your whole entire life isn't it absolutely it is yeah i think that's i think it's death to the human mind is this idea that i'm done you know i'm done i don't I've, i know everything i need to possibly know uh, you can't teach me anything sadly i mean i went to school with um children who they they were from uh, lower income backgrounds and quite necessarily they had to be done at 16 because they were going to go out and work um and I, I mean you talk about this in your film it's a, the sad and sorry state of the education system is that you need quite well-off parents to um, pay for your diagnosis. Uh, you cover that in the film. You know, it's very expensive to try and get a diagnosis, and it's difficult to get one. And then to get the support a dyslexic child needs or a child with learning difficulties—that's that's not a small amount of money. Well, I was I was hanging out with um, our friend Richard Branson, and and you know, one of the things we're going to be talking about is self-esteem. And so Branson, you know, literally I'm hanging out at, at the pub with, uh, and he comes up over my shoulder and he says to all these people, everybody looks, you know, here comes Richard Branson. And he says, you know, I dropped out of school when I was however old he was, you know, 15 years old or something. He says, he goes, if I know what I knew now, I would have dropped out at 11. <laughs> See, but that's his, that's because of his self-esteem, because he just, you know, he is a screw it, let's do it kind of guy. Yeah. Uh, he tries it and, you know, you learn by your failures. You know, my, um, you know, my, my best teacher is my last mistake. Our famous yes. Ralph Nader said that. So, you know, the wonderful thing about the sex is you, you, you fail a lot. And, um, yeah. and if you just get all the failing over with early, you're not, you're not scared of failing. Yeah. Because you just pick yourself up and go again, right? Isn't that, isn't that what it's all about? You know, one of the things uh, I think you guys do when you're when you're testing adults, think about that. Think about not knowing what's wrong and being an adult and where your self esteem is and everything else, and you don't know what's the matter. It's great to get identified as as a dyslexic. In my case, they identified me, and then they didn't know what to do with me, and then they. You know, they put me in the back of the classroom. They put me, you know, I put myself in the back of the classroom, you know, or by a window. You know, the, if you know, I'm looking outside, man, I'm daydreaming. I'm making movies in my head when I'm, you know, I don't know what yeah. they're talking about in that class, right? You, you're you agreeing yeah. with me because you know, this is, this is what I'm talking about, the brotherhood and the, and the, the understanding of, of when a couple of dyslexics get together and start talking. Yeah, completely. I vividly remember a teacher of mine um, remonstrating me in front of the whole class. And I hadn't, I mean, I'd been daydreaming. I'd been, you know, away vividly in my head. And um, I had, you know, I, I probably couldn't have told you what had happened in that class for the entire hour. 
and she, and she could see that. I mean, and I'm sure that hurt her self-esteem because she probably thought, how am I going to get through to this child? But yeah, I mean, that absolutely is it. You just, you just, you just go off, don't you? You just you sort of daydream and, and, and you're not fully present. No, when I was a kid, I used to close my eyes on the desk and make movies. I mean, you know, you, you know, you can see pictures, you can hear the sound. I mean, I used to hear, you know, and you're not supposed to tell people you hear voices or anything like that because they think you're crazy. But, you know, um, you know, you hear big band music and stuff like that. You know, later on when you become a filmmaker, it's like they're, they're called, you know, voiceovers and, you know, and, and music. Yeah. So what, you know, what the heck? I mean, I think, I think what we have to do is get these teachers to be able to identify, you know, when the teachers, I mean, a, a teacher, that is the greatest profession in the world. They're investing in our, 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 our nation's, our world's um, greatest resource, and the, the, the youth. You know, that's yes. what you and I were talking about, investing in people. So what yeah. if you have a teacher who can identify the type of learner you are, and they would have taken, you know, young, young Harvey or young Jude, maybe put him in the front of the class and, you know, ask us a couple different questions, get us going, get us engaged. And, you know, I just turned 60. I turned 60 last year. I had a birthday party. My science teacher from high school showed up with a bunch of people who we all wow. went to school with. No way. And yeah, great. And he's, he's like, you know, you guys, we were all the troublemakers in school. You know, he says, you guys, he's, you know, the A, the A class kids were just trying to get the A. That's all they were doing, mm -hmm. trying to get the A. But he says, if you guys were asking questions, you were really interested. You really cared. You wanted to know and learn. And that's the kind of teaching, that's the kind of engaging in the world that, that I would like to live in. And, you know, I'm, I'm an optimist. And I believe we can make the world a better place. But it, yes. it is exactly what you're saying. It's investing in the, the lifelong learner, investing and respecting that student. Yeah, completely. And especially as... You know, what if we don't invest in, in children and adults as well? Well, you have the reality is uh, most people who are incarcerated have learning difficulties. Most people who are homeless have learning difficulties. So, you know, what, what costs less? In effect, you know, I, I mean, I know there's a, a crisis in terms of the prison uh, population in America because you have privatised prisons and that throws up so many uh, issues around incarcerating people. Um but you'd save the state and you'd save the taxpayer so much money if you, uh, you know, did exactly as you were saying. You go Brother, to a school. Exactly, I mean, you're picking up what we're putting down before, you know, I mean, that's that's our next film, Hopeville. That's exactly what we're talking about. And, um, and you know, the numbers balance out that, um, except it's different departments, you know, not my department, man. It's like yeah, to, to get a special ed teacher into a school um, certainly is cheaper than paying for somebody to be in prison. And the numbers balance out, except yeah. the different parts of the budget. So it's it's easier to get money to keep all these people incarcerated uh, than to get special ed teachers and fix the problem then. Oh, man. That's, I mean, that's depressing. Know, yeah, it, it really is. I mean, but but that, that again, Jude, why we're talking about it, and then – some people are going to listen and then they're going to talk about it. That's important. We're planting the seed. We're, mm. you know, it's the, it's a pebble in the pond, man. You got to keep advocating. See, advocating, you're advocating. Look at you. Yeah. Well, you can't not. I mean, I think there's also, we'll go back to suffering and I want to go back to failure. Your point about, about failure, um, that, uh, actually, uh, and we can, we can 
come at this from the perspective of being an artist, if I can call you that as well, a director and an actor, that um, it takes a great deal of um, work and you have to suffer a little bit in terms of like developing yourself. You know, you the failures are hard. Um, you try your best and sometimes your best isn't good enough, but you learn from that experience. And and it actually, you know, it forms you as a person to to, to experience a, a degree of suffering and it, it actually, it's actually what human beings want and need. Um, but but not, you know, there, there is an ideal optimal amount. You know, if you're going to school and it is constantly a miserable place, then obviously that's not conducive to you being at your best. Um, but I, so I really want to ask you then, the seeds of you being an artist, where was that? Was that in the classroom? Was that in you being that, that frustrated child? No, well, I think a, a couple of things. You said a mouthful, but I mean, you know, wisdom comes with much suffering, right? So, yes. so, <laughs> I mean, no, you're really, you're really right on. And, um, one of the things I was just traveling across the country and, uh, I'm working on even, a, you know, a different project, but I ran into, to, you know, to the question is nature or nurture. And I ran into a mother and she said, you know, you know, all kids come pre-programmed out of the box. So we are uniquely, you're uniquely Jude, but you, you know, I'm uniquely Harvey, but we have these experiences mm -hmm. and we can identify on certain things. So I just, before I answer your question, I just want to, you know, mention that if, if you and I at this, you know, at our age, uh, you know, start a new job and the first day it just, you know, I mean, you know, I don't know if I'm allowed to swear, you know, but it really no, it, it really sucks, right? On the, that first day in the, on the job and you go home and you're thinking like, what can I do differently tomorrow? Can I, can I change this? Can I do that differently? Maybe I'm yeah. going to do this and you try that and then that doesn't work. And then you try something else and that doesn't work. And then, so you, you can quit the job after a, a week or two. It's just, no, I'm just, it's not for me. I'm not a good fit. It's just, you know, no yeah. harm, no fault. But when you're in first grade or kindergarten, you can't quit kindergarten you can't quit first grade you just can't and yes. and so it's very important that we teach the teachers to be able to identify i mean it's it's the science of reading um and what they know about it one of the things that happened and, and i'll go back to the answer to your question but i'm not sure if 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 i can say how i got to be who i am via experiences i think we're pre-programmed i think we're stamped at birth i think you know, if you're going to be optimistic, I mean, I guess you can learn to be optimistic, but I think there's a certain degree of, of who we are and who we are in, in some cases, you know, close to 20% of, of the worldwide population, a little under 20% is, you know, we're what they call dyslexic. But mm. also, going back to what I said earlier, you know, it shows that we all learn differently. And yes. that's what we have to teach our teachers to be able to identify. So, so in the, in, when I made the film Dyslexia, just because I'm dyslexic doesn't mean I know much about it. Um, so I got to meet all the great neuroscientists of, of our time and in our country. And uh, that was great. And I also live really close to Yale, New Haven. So I could just go down there and, when I had questions and just ask around and uh, I got to meet some really, you know, brilliant, smart, wonderful, uh, dedicated scientists. 
And um, so I, so then that's when I started really learning about the science of reading and, and knowing what they were doing in the lab and, and realizing that one of my gifts would be to be able to get it out of the, out of the lab and into the classroom and be able to use mm. those connections and, and just be able to help teachers. I mean, what our, what our next film, Hopeville, is all about is if one city can do it, another city can do it. And if, if one city can do it, you can do it. You can make a difference. And you just have to, you know, you have to figure out how to move your community, how to get your, your board of education, your school superintendents, your, your teachers all involved. I mean, people mm. want to do the right thing. Don't, don't they want to do the right thing, Jude, for the most part? You think, I think the majority of us want to do what's right. Absolutely. And I think there's there's uh, some really courageous and brilliant teachers who operate as best they can within a within a, a system of education which doesn't just doesn't wholly work. Um, and, and their hands are tied sometimes because it's they, they can't give the care that they need to within that system. And, and if it doesn't work for them, they have to pick up the needle and move to another groove. They might have to go to another school district. Um, but but mm. teachers have the have the. Um, uh, so many of them quit after five years. Yeah, but I think we could make a you know we could make a difference on that. And um, you know, teacher training is is incredible, and and science based literacy yes. is is the best possible thing we can do is to get this. Which which you know our next our next film Hopeville is all about uh, the science of reading, and you know we have this information. Um, so, can I tell a small story right now? You can you can do whatever you like, sir. Please. So, so um, after we're done with Hopeville, we're going to work on a film about um, the, the late great Diana King from Kildonan, and uh, that film is going to be called "It's Good to Be King." And you'd like her because she's English, right? So <laughs> um, maybe one, maybe you'd be scared of her because she's like, well, she's like this. She's this great teacher, and uh, so I'm at the International Dyslexic. Um, uh, conference association conference, and uh, which I go to every year. It moves all around the United States, and um, I don't. Again, they're trying to play with us with words. I call it the International Dyslexic Association. And you know, I'm going to get in trouble for this, but um, but <laughs> it, it happens mostly in the United States. I, I try to figure that out. But anyway, yes, yeah. So um, so I I, I talk into my smartphone. I'm like looking for the location of Diana King, and people just start texting me back. She's in the, the East ballroom, such and such, such and such on the front row aisle, such and such, such and so. I come up, I, I walk up next to her. I kneel down and she said, Oh, there you are. And, uh, so she goes, let's get out of here. And we, we walk out she's holding my, uh, my arm. She's kind of small and tiny and I'm, I'm walking and I'm kind of hard of hearing too. But, you know, she's kind of old. And so she, she goes, this is bullshit. We've known this since since the 1970s. <laughs> so you think about this, but, you know, I think the information is we got to get it out to the educators. And yeah. they, they have to. And we have things like the, uh, the Reading League over here, um, which is important. And I think everybody, you know, have to, has to look at the information that these guys are coming up with. Uh, read read their journal. I mean, this is the stuff we have to get out into, you know, into the systems. Because if we want to save these kids, if we want to not be 
having broken homes and drugs and alcohol and divorces and, and prison and all these things, we got to be able to help the lifelong learner, give them a good head start. There's no reason that, that, that the majority of our population can't read right now. We're mm. failing, you know, we're failing 60%, 60 percent of the American kids are not reading at the basic levels right now. Wow. wow. Why is that? You know, we, you know, personally, so going back to when I was a kid and, what, and whether I was stamped at birth or not, um, one of my family's friends uh, said, listen, anything that he wants to read at the Scholastic Book Fair, let him get. And I still have some of those, those books, you know, Rabbit and Skunk's Big Fight. That's a really mm. cool book, man. Yeah. So, it's, you know, so it's, it's getting your kids involved in the love of reading and then, and then even if they're struggling with it, um, you know, just get the kid evaluated, figure, figure it out. It's all done early, early on. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I fell in love with reading through audiobooks because, you know, I obviously struggled, but I loved stories. I love stories. I love, and I love actors reading, um, you know, great literature. And that, that was my, my way in. I'm a, I'm a voracious reader. I love, uh, I love everything about reading. I love that it, uh, you know, can essentially create movies in my head. Um, and it's an opportunity, you know, as an actor, I, I need my imagination to be strong. So, it, 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 you know, it, it means that I keep that. Um, it's like a gym for my imagination. Um, I, I think there's, there's so much to be, to be had in terms of that is encouraging children to, to listen to audiobooks. I mean, it, there's so many ways, as you say, for them to, to experience that, you know, through a smartphone or, uh, you know, through the internet. Well, yeah, and, you know, it's an it's interesting thing that you said, too, because there's so many actors that are dyslexic. And, um, yeah, yeah. And they use the word play, you know, and, and you know, that it really is a play because you're pretending you're somebody else and you, you take somebody along with it. So, you know, whether it's a, it's a gym or a feast or whatever you do when you're, when you're reading and where your mind goes, it's like what you were, you know, where your mind went to when you were talking with your teacher you know, you see these stories, you imagine the places. It's, some people just see that when they're dreaming at at nighttime. If they can't daydream and they can't realize, um, you know, whether whether Einstein was dyslexic or not dyslexic, you know, that's what people debate all day long. But um, but he definitely imagined traveling at the speed of light. That's how he, he put himself in there and you know, the old expression, what the mind can perceive, the mind can achieve. Mm, yes. That's huge. I mean, that's that's a huge debate, not merely around people who have a disability or a learning difficulty, but of course, you know, around um, visibility for um, for minorities. You know, you can't be the thing you can't see it, um, is, is another way of sort of perceiving that as well. You know, that um, there's a huge problem here and, and, I, and I know in America as well of... of minorities receiving the help that they need um for dyslexia um because it is it's so it's it's expensive oh it's it's huge and it shouldn't be it, it it shouldn't be we're beginning to make um we're beginning to make some inroads in there now but not not fast enough and um i mean i still see see regardless of their of their race or or where they are economically, um, 
mistakes being being done in kindergarten, first grade uh, that we that shouldn't happen. So then, when you take it into underserved neighborhoods, um, yeah. But Jude, if we can, you know, we got to get more uh, people from the underserved neighborhoods into education. So it has to be, yes. it has to be a more respected job. You know, you know, I'm from, uh, I'm from the great United States of America over here. And, and, uh, and in our history, as we were, um, as you know, European descendants and, and everybody else who became Americans were going West and running into all kinds of problems with indigenous people and settling these towns, they would just start this whole new town. Yeah. Well, you needed a teacher mm. and you would do anything to have a teacher come into your, you know, you might have a house of worship and it might, you know, it might be a house of worship, uh, one day and it's, um, five days it's a, or six days. It's a, it's a school. Um, but when that teacher would come into your community, uh, you know, you would give them things. You'd give them food. You'd want to, it would be an honor to feed the teacher and have the teacher come to your house. That's why even this, these, these computers, this thing called the apple, you know, mm. it's knowledge. You would give your teacher an apple. It's out of respect. We got to bring that back. And, um, and uh, you know, and another thing going on, and this isn't just dyslexia or, or not, but in the underserved population, kids really want to see um, people their 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 same skin color uh, teaching them and being successful and being a yeah you know being a, a, a school superintendent or, or or a principal or I mean you you definitely will relate with that person of course but, of course you will yeah there's, there's but you know we're going back in empathy you and I yeah it doesn't go away it's always there so so would sure would be nice if if more people had empathy and could could understand it, um, and and again we have what you and I started talking about with these, you know, these rival networks that are trying to to baffle us and and they're pushing their opinion on us, pretending they're it's news and it's getting us all confused and not knowing what what's real, what's not real, and yes. um, making us hate each other. Um, yes. And not trust each other. And uh, I mean, all of that stuff, if you just stop and calm, calm down and take a breath, you can think like, yeah, they're really trying to drive us crazy with all of this information. And that's where I think the, the big leveler and I'm, you know, I'm, I'm in my library right now. And uh, there's so many, there's so many books and you can just look around and I'm, and I'm never going to be able to read every one of these books, but at least knowing that they're here, I know I can, I can have a little survey throughout the day and just, you know, pick up a book, read a couple, you know, a couple, uh, uh, paragraphs or a couple pages. If I like the book, I'm going to keep reading it. Uh, I'm going to put it someplace next to some other books. And mm. it, 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 you know, you called it a gym. It could be fertilizer for our brain. It could be, you know, a feast for our brain, but yes. to not uh, to not be able to teach people, maybe that's the reason. And in in, in um, our new film, Hopeville, we we go we dive into 
the different parts of the of early United States, you know, in New England, they wanted us to learn the Bible. So they taught everybody how to read. And uh yeah. and that was that was important. And and um and in the you know in the deep south um you know if you were on if if you were in the big house if you were in the plantation um they're, they're gonna bring a private tutor in and they're gonna teach um they're gonna teach the young boys uh there they might teach the girls how to read but they're certainly not going to teach the slaves how to read and a lot of this mm. mentality has 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 stuck with us and you know um you know the Native Americans; they would take the Native American uh, children away from their parents and send them to what they affectionately called Indian schools, and um, they would teach them how to wear different clothes and not speak their own language. So these people became disconnected with their own their own people. So education itself is, uh, as we discussed, you know, getting you ready for a certain thing, be it to make you in the industrial age for to become a factory worker. Mm. Um, but it's not to make you a free thinker. And that is what, that's what we're allowed right now in the age of the pandemic. If the parents are in tune and they want to help their kid, well, usually they're running from one place to another because they're trying to make their, their car payments, their credit card payments, their some yeah, other kinds of stuff. But if, you know, if they can be mindful and think of what's important and how much time you have and how important it is in first grade or second grade uh, or third grade for your kids, then this is it. You 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 got to get involved with this this kid. And I think if the teachers just knew enough through teacher training, and they would say, you know, you know, Mrs. Smith, Mr. Smith. Um, you know, you got to do this. This is important. This has to happen in in uh, in first grade. But how many teachers want to tell you that I don't know how to unlock your kid's mind? You know, Jude, you, yeah. you, you could have, um, I'm imagining that you have some keys someplace around you and you, they're either to your house or to your apartment or to your car or something. And, and I got some keys. And if... If we were talking and I took your keys and um, and uh, I went out to my car and you and you and Rory were sitting in your you know in your studio and you're looking out the window and you see me taking you know your keys and trying to put them into my car and I can't unlock my my car and I start hitting kicking my door and I call my car a stupid you know uh, how come yes. you're not like you know how come you're not like like Jude's car it starts you know well. I got, I got the wrong key for the wrong car. I got to find the right key. And mm -hmm. that's what I think in the science of reading, we all begin to know. And, and you said before, you know, learning disability, you know, we disabled them, man. You got to remember, we disable people. If we don't teach mm -hmm. them to read by fourth grade, uh, we have disabled you. And now we have your self-esteem in the toilet. And now, you know, we're we're just getting you ready for those prisons for profit, man. We're just getting you all ready. But if we can unlock your brain and figure out how Jude learns, how Harvey learns, how Rory learns, how Rusty learns, they all learn differently. And they all got something very important to contribute to our society. That's the world I want to live in. 
Absolutely, I couldn't. I couldn't agree more. I, I think it is. It's the problem of our education system to reach each child. It's not the child's. Um, you know, the child shouldn't be engaged with uh, twisting their their intelligences to um, the school and their method. It's it's you know how does this mind work? How can we reach it? And I mean, listen, I I, I personally think teachers aren't paid enough, um, and they they should be paid more, and they should be appreciated more, especially given as you've said how. Uh, huge uh, teachers are in developing the future, and I mean I can remember I can remember almost um, lessons delivered by my favourite teachers, uh, things that they did, tactics they used to reach me. Um, great teachers leave indelible marks on you and on your life. Um, they're they're so valuable. Well, here's the thing. Oh yeah, you know some of my some of my uh, you know some of my favourite people are these these teachers that that have done certain things in 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 my life or other people's lives so the thing is there's two people in in your life and in everybody's life there's two teachers there's the best teacher and the worst teacher so yes. you know yes. that's a that's a dangerous game you're playing you're like 007 you know when you're going off into this world man you're like you're trying to help a kid and change a kid um, and, you know, with your knowledge of what you have, I mean, when I did dyslexia, the movie, so many people come up to me, so many teachers. And they said, if I knew what I know now, you know, my first couple of years of teaching and they take all of these education programs later and they start learning it. But, you know, teacher training is, is huge. And that's what, you know, that's what we noticed in, in, in this, we spent a year with, uh, in an inner city town, uh, called Waterbury, Connecticut, and they have a district called Hopeville. And we spent um, a year documenting. I wanted to know what it was like, how you learn to read. And that happens. It's like a magical thing. Um, you go from being a non-reader to a reader. Uh, and you're growing. And, and how does that happen? I, I, I knew that... Um, Teachers were always saying, well, by September, this, you know, September, this happens. And by October, we should be doing this. And, and uh, by November or December, we'll be here. So, wow, they have a plan on how it's going to work for the majority of the kids. And I talked to one of my friends, Margie Gillis, um, and uh, she said, well, if you want to see how they do it right, Waterbury, Connecticut does it right. And it was right down the road from us. And Sure enough, they had their teachers all do um, science-based literacy instruction. And, um, you know, as we said, if one city can do it, another city can do it. And, and you begin to watch the, you know, the return on that. Um, and you, have, you want kids who can make good choices as they grow up um, and, you know, being able to find the right way to, um, have their pursuit of happiness. Um, yes. Well, I mean, you're obviously engaged in making a film about a, a master teacher, Diana King, um, who I think, she, did she not, she died in 2018? Yeah, it probably happened that fast. Yeah, yeah. It, yes. 2018. She was, ni she was 90. Yep. And she was yeah, great. For, those, for those who don't know, she was, she was a, a leader in terms of, um, teaching how to overcome dyslexia. And she's actually in um, Dyslexia, the movie as well. 
Um, she really, but she really is, yeah. Uh, but yeah, she seems she seems a formidable character, um, and 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 obviously you you she's she left an indelible mark on your life, clearly. Well, yeah, I was one of her henchmen, but you know, <laughs> um, I mean, you know, she died. She was on. She was on. Uh, her obit was in the New York Times as well as the um, uh, like on the Good Morning Today show um, over here in the in the states. She was incredible. She got a National Teacher uh, Hall of Fame Lifetime Achievement Award. Um, so, wow. so the longitudinal study, which is just done by a simple country filmmaker like me and the guys over here, um, we talked to people who who she taught. Um, some of them she taught, uh, you know, 60 years ago, um, 50 years ago. And these guys, these, so she would take the pick of the litter. She would take, um, uh, she would take the worst of a bad lot, right? The kids who were, who were said were, people said they were uneducable. Uh, these people can't learn. Um, and so their self-esteem is in, in a really bad place. How come they can't learn? But she would find, um, uh, their talents, she'd be able to unlock them. She would pick all the kids that, the, that nobody else could reach, that haven't reached so far. And sometimes pretty late in life, she would get these guys. And so many of these guys became self-made millionaires. It's amazing of how she would do this. And we traveled around and, and met a lot of the people who she had a profound impact on their life. And she taught teachers, you know, so at the end of her life and, 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 you know, at the end of her life, I'm, I'm at her deathbed. And I said, you know, Diana, I said, you have done so much. You've taught so many uh, people and changed so many families lives. And you've, you've taught uh, teachers who went on to teach other teachers. And she said, well, I did the best I could. And I thought about that. Uh, and think about that, Jude. What if we all lived in a world where we all did the best we could? I mean, you know, we don't we don't litter. We buy less plastic. We, um, you know, we want to listen more. We want to understand the issues, not just what some bonehead on on you know TV or radio or internet tells us, but we really, you know, we we go to these neighborhoods and and. We ask uh, people, how can we, how can we make this neighborhood better? How can we help education better? I mean, what if we all did the best we could? Isn't that like, isn't that a great thing to strive for? It is. I mean, I'm in total agreement. Um, uh, I'm just there's a bit of me that thinks uh, there there are forces at work in in this world who actively don't want everybody to be at their best. In in fact, they uh, they profit from. Uh, people not being at their best and making bad decisions and buying things they shouldn't and sort, you know, things like that. I mean, I, I would love everyone to be able to be have the circumstances to be at their best all the time. Well, I agree with you. And but what you're doing right now, you're, you know, you're, you know, you're getting a conversation going where people are, are talking about this and and um, which, you know, you're doing your you're, you're doing your best on this and, mm. you know, our. You know, and if we can spread our attitude as gratitude, which doesn't really cost us anything, and if you and I were to get together and start, you know, playing a, a game of cards right now, um, you know, you're going to have to say, oh, 
This is the best hand I got. This is, I'm going to deal with the hand I was dealt. And, but it doesn't mean that you, it doesn't mean that there's going to be a fixed outcome by that. And, yes. and I think if we can get education, you know, you know, we, the people can get education um, for our community, for our kids, and we have empathy for others, um, then one, we feel pretty good about it ourselves. Two, we're making the world a better place. And, uh, you know, I run into a lot of young, young folks who I've, you know, I got lifelong friends who I've known for a lifetime, go figure. And <laughs> I, I see young people who have, you know, either worked on our farm or worked in our production company and, um, and they get older and, or just, you know, people who I've run into and watch them as they grow and they mature into adults. I mean, that's a, that's a beautiful thing. And you want the best for these people and you want them to be con- contributing members of society. And that would make them feel better too. Doesn't it? Yes. I'm going to be in Pollyanna. You want, you want me to be a tough guy? You want me to swear some more? No, hey, I'm, uh, I'm in agreement uh, with, with everything you're saying. Uh, yeah. I mean, listen, if you want to, throw in some swear words um, to add what you're saying, then go ahead. Don't, don't, um, don't feel like you can't. Um, I want to ask you, uh, Harvey, what your proudest moment is in terms of your, your professional working life, in terms of the work you've done um, as a director. Uh, proudest moment. Um, well, it was, uh, I had a kind of out-of-body experience when we, um, we did Loop Dreams. We won three Emmys one night, and that was pretty out of out of body. But you know, you know, really, you know, if you get to be a director or a producer, um, I mean, it's it's changing so much on so many different different things. It really does. It really does take a village. Um, you know, you really do work with some really incredibly talented people and you all start uh making this project you know they take on a life of their own and you know male filmmakers always love to talk about like giving birth and uh and you know really it's it's kind of like dr frankenstein you know you have you have especially in the, in the world of documentaries you have you know you have all these parts hanging around the, the laboratory, you have noses and toeses and lungs and tongues, and you kind of start stitching them together to make your Frankenstein monster. It walks and it breathes and it, you know, it kind of goes off on its own. So um, the hardest thing to say is like, what is the proudest moment? Um, because there's a lot of moments that just make you feel really darn good about it. Um, so, um, there's a lot of proud moments. There's a lot of, uh, I can't say that there's one particular time, but watching the audience and watching them, the, the empathy, and w- when people are watching the sex of the movie, they start, they start crying at certain parts and they, and they laugh at certain parts. Um, you know, that's kind of a bond. And when you make somebody cry out of empathy or laugh, out of recognizing and, and, 
you know, understanding the, the, the feeling and the emotion. And sometimes laughter is just a, uh, a, a release, just like, just like crying is. So as far as proudest moment, I don't know. I like the fact that I can get people jobs and, and keep, you know, keep lights on in, in people's homes and stuff like that. I mean, it's, if I could say one proudest moment, there's, there's, there's a bucket of them. Does that make sense? <laughs> it does. It does, absolutely. I mean, it's a testament to uh, the dyslexic brain. Uh, and if you're a creative as well, you, you're forever thinking laterally. And I think both of us have done this in this conversation. Our, our thoughts have run in and laterally away towards everywhere in this in this conversation. And I'm sure other dyslexics will hear it and be and um, and 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 be familiar with it. Um, it sort of has its own logic. It finds its its way through. No, I understand. Um, and and again, it, we come back to the empathy thing. Clearly, um, the moments you're proudest of are not necessarily. Um, you know, awards or, you know, uh, uh, big profile projects. It's it's the human relationships you have. Oh, yeah, without a doubt. I mean, you know, we also have a farm over here. And, um, you know, and everything's changing. Uh, well, for instance, and you only got 14, 40 minutes in a day. You got 365 days in a year. Um, so, you know, where I live in in the United States, it's in between Boston and New York. Um, so we're just coming out of winter time. We're going into, into spring and summer. It's a farm. Um, today we had a, a meeting about mushrooms that were growing in the forest and how we want to do that and, and get more people up to the farm. We have, you know, we're working on, we have compost piles. We have, you know, chicken tractors where we have these chickens plopping around in our compost piles and going up in our field. And that's going to be next year's garden. So, so you live in this world of, of, of these daydreams that you can make reality. And again, if there was no books in my life, if there was no places to, to get those seeds and plant those seeds, like, hey, we could do that. We could do this. We could, you know, I'm going to travel to this place. I'm going to travel to that place. So I'm going to go, I'm going to call up this person and see if, if they'll be in our film about, you know, the science of reading. Um, think about what, kind of world we would be in if we could not, if we did not decode the language, if we did not have, you know, I mean, we're basically reading a lot of dead people's thoughts because we all don't live forever, but, um, but you can read an old book and the first time you read it, it's a new book to you. So the thoughts of reading Locke, Rousseau and Voltaire and Adams and Franklin and Jefferson and Edison and you know, you know, anybody that you can just get into their head and see their thoughts, you're having a conversation with somebody who's been dead for 200 years. Well, kind of a conversation. Yes, absolutely. I mean, that's what I love about books. Uh, do you have a favorite book? I mean, uh, aside from the one you, um, I think I can, the one you, you mentioned earlier. Well, you know, <laughs> I got to tell you something about Think I Can, because when I was in kindergarten, I lost that book. You know, the train, the train book, I think I can, I think I can. And, I, yes. you know, so think about how terrible that is when you're in kindergarten, you get a book, you know, and um, and it's all, you know, it's the train trying to go up the hill, the circus train. And, you know, the, the sad clown. And I just love that book so much. I eventually ended up getting a new one not too long ago. Um, but, it, but I remember losing it and it was like, ah, 
you know, okay, so I like Illusions of a Reluctant Messiah by, uh, by I think it's Richard Bach. I mean, there, there was one that was really inspiring for me when I was like 17 years old. I, um, uh, you know, that one comes off just off the top of my, my head. There's, again, it's like buckets of, buckets of books. Um, so I don't know. I can't say, I can't say I have one favorite book, even though I did just say that that illusions was a was a great one at the right time, and I, and I think it's like meeting people or, or you meet the right people at the right time. You you get the right book at the right time. Yeah, um, all all super important stuff. The Martian Chronicle, the Illustrated Man, Illustrated Man. Come on, it's like short stories, and um, it's just great. Um, me and the guys who I went to high school with, we still talk about these science fiction books that we read when we were kids, and. Uh, you know, like, like last year at this time, there was a pandemic. People are like, who would have thought this would have happened? I'm like, how about anybody who reads science fiction would believe a pandemic would happen? Or how about anybody who reads history um, yes. would believe a pandemic would happen? So it's not that hard. I'm not, you know, I'm not, uh, I'm not a sheeple if I put up a mask over my, my mouth because it worked in 1918. It actually worked during the Black Plague, too. But, yes. Um, and if you read... Uh, you know that because dead people are telling you what the research that they did. They didn't just, it's not a big conspiracy that no. they're, they're trying to, you know, to, to hoodwink you. No, I mean, I'm, I'm reading, um, I'm reading a beautiful book at the moment uh, called Hamnet, which is by, I think it's called Maggie O'Flynn. And um, it's about Shakespeare's son, Hamnet, who, who died of the plague. Um, and you know, you talk about books coming into your life at a certain time. Um, I mean, it's it's done really well. I don't know if it's been released over in America, but it's it's a beautiful book. It really, it's really about um, Shakespeare's wife, but she never names Shakespeare, and it's 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 amazingly filmic. You know, I mean, I can see it potentially being turned into a film, but um, you know, it, it it came out, and I'm sure Maggie O'Flynn had no idea when she was writing it that it would come out during a pandemic. But it obviously centers around the loss of. A, um, a dear son, his only son, who succumbed to the to the plague, and then he obviously wrote one of the greatest pieces of human literature, which had some some ghostly uh, stuff in there, I think, or is that Macbeth, I don't know, but I no, it does, yes, it does, yeah, they both do, yes. So, so yeah, send me a link to that because you know it's always good to get these extra thoughts into our head and and. And, you know, we know we can't read all the books that we have in our life because there's, mm. we just, we don't want to live in a world where you can read every book, all of them. Um, no. I mean, some of our great, some of our great thought leaders, you know, over here um, in, you know, Thomas Jefferson's day, he could have read everything that he had. Um, but now we have so many so many books, so much information. So you have to kind of pick and, and figure out. Um, so, you know, I'm dyslexic and so I'm, I always bastardize words, but um, Michael Pollan, the food guy, Pollan, Pollan, the food guy, omnivore's I'm I'm, I'm dilemma. Um, he wrote food rules, just simple, easy stuff, a couple, like a page or two. It's kind of like, you know, you're going to meditate on something. You're going to like meditate on just how, eating the right food fuels the body. Mm. I mean, a lot of it comes off with, with, you know, podcasts now can, can, can nourish us the same, the same way when, when you're interested in something, it's going to 
it's going to explore a certain paths for you and help help you go. But it's it's one tool that goes along with, um, you know, being able to exercise your brain in, in a different way. I'm reading another uh, book, The History of the 11 Rival Regional Cultures of North America, which is um, called American Nations. And it's it's fascinating. And then I think I just told you, I drove across the country recently from California with my my uh, lovely wife. We stopped in Austin, Gulfport, Mississippi, and we just raced across the country because we had to, we got this vehicle and we're trying to get it back to the farm. And you're running into all of these people and you don't have time to stop and talk with people because you're, you got to be, you know, back at work Monday morning. And um, it's just amazing. I'm thinking about what I've read in that book, Nations, as I'm traveling across the far west and the, and the greater Appalachian, Appalachia, Appalachia, um, the deep south and into Yankee Dumb and into the Midlands. It's really fascinating. And it seems that you have to be able to do, you have to balance stuff out in this world. How much reading are you going to do? How much outdoor activity are you going to do? How much, um, it, it's, it's not easy to, to be a well-balanced human being, well-balanced, well-read human being, but you have to, you know, what are you going to do with your one incredible, magnificent life, right? How are you going to, how are you going to spend your day? Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, the, the, that for me should be the question that we leave uh, our dear listeners with. How are you going to uh, spend your, your magnificent, uh, your wild life? How are you going to do that? Well, the whole thing comes down to, you know, what, what equipment do you have on it? And if you if you were born into an underserved neighborhood, and um, and if if you know if your mom and dad says, well, honey, we just don't do good in school. If that's you know what the parent believes and says, and that's what's going to happen to to the child. But if if you know if like I believe there's two kinds of people. There's the kind of people who do stuff, and the kind of people who don't do stuff. And how you become that glorious race of people who do stuff is just do stuff and and figure out like okay, this is unacceptable. My, um, you know, I've talked to a lot of dyslexic um, uh, parents of dyslexic kids, and they know that their kid is smart, and then they see the kid struggling in school, but they don't have the information what to do. So that's the parent right now saying, okay, we got to do something. Now, if the school system is is saying, oh yeah, we got this, don't worry, he's a late bloomer, this or that, which is just, you know, you know, kind of false information. If the school district knows how to, uh, they can say, hey, you know, I'm not the locksmith you're looking for. Let's see if we can get this kid extra help here or, or there. I'm going to work more with this kid on, on, on reading intervention. Uh, we have a reading specialist in our school. Um, and then we're going to, we're going to test the kid and make sure that they're reading up, up to a good level. Um, you know, that's, that's the school doing their part. Um, so the community gets involved by making sure that we're going to, invest in reading specialists, reading facilitators um, for our school because we know how important 
that is. Um, I mean, it really does take take a village. It's it's really community. It's really to em, to empower the growth mindset. Um, you really need to have a lot of people involved and on your team. You got to have the parent, you know, the educator, and and the uh, and the lifelong learner. You know, it's it's a teamwork, and you know, teamwork is dream work, as they say, right? It really is. It really is. Again, that is that is the perfect note for us to to end on. I have to let you go, Harvey. But thank you so much uh, for giving us your time. Well, thank you for making the time to uh, to check in with us. And uh, as we finish our film, Hopeville USA, I hope uh, I hope you can uh, reach back out to us and we can talk a little bit more as our our film's going to be coming out in October. We we hope, and uh, we'd love to be able to talk with you guys again. Would love that. Would love that. Hopefully, we'll be on season three by that point. And, uh, and we can talk to you again and check in. Well, we love all the work you guys are doing. Just keep up the good work over there. And uh, whatever whatever we can do to help, um, we want to do. And if and if you guys are coming across the pond, come on over and stay at the farm with us. Hey, we'd love that. Thank you. That's such a kind offer. No problem, Thank my you. Friend. Okay, much love. You've been listening to Words Fail Me podcast about thriving with dyslexia with me Jude Monk McGowan my guest today was the director Harvey Hubble the fifth this podcast was funded by the National Lottery Community Fund there are more conversations in this series just search words fail me a podcast about thriving with dyslexia and subscribe wherever you find podcasts and if you want to support the charity or access its many services go to dyslexia-help.com And if you enjoyed this episode, please go rate, subscribe, leave us a little review. It really helps the podcast grow. Thank you.